0: So I I want to tell you about what our Advent series is a little bit before we get started with the message. I want to tell you a little bit what our Advent series is about this year. Um, It's a little bit different. What we're doing is there's all sorts of people in the Advent story um, who interact with Jesus. And what we're hoping is, is that their interactions with Jesus, each person's interaction with Jesus, will speak to us a little bit about our own interactions with Jesus. Now, we recognize that statistically speaking, there's a decent chance that Christmas this year will not mean that Jesus is here in the flesh with us. He may be. He may actually show up, you know, but statistically speaking, that may not happen. But what we do know is that just because Jesus won't necessarily be here in the flesh this Christmas, he will be here in the spirit, won't he be? He's alive. We are not talking about a Jesus who lived back then. It's a, it's a Jesus who's alive. And what's more is, is that his spirit, there, there is so much of his spirit and the power of his spirit that we have yet to experience, that we have yet to realize. And there's so much more that he wants to do through his spirit in our lives. And our hope is that in the same way that Jesus was birthed in the flesh back then, that we will experience him in new ways in the spirit this Christmas season. When Jesus was coming in the flesh, there was all these people, and they interacted with Jesus, the Christ child, in different ways. And uh, our hope is that the same ways that they pursued Jesus then, we will pursue him in prayer now. In the spirit, we will go after him in prayer the same way that they went after him in the flesh. Let me explain the way that this will go. Uh, today we're talking about, uh, as we're praying through Christmas, the prayers of anticipation. prayers, And what we're talking about is those who were waiting for Christ to come from the prophets of old all the way up to the time of Christ there was people who were waiting for him and we too want to wait on God in prayer learn to wait on God in prayer next week we'll be talking about the wise men who traveled across the known world of that day in order to find Jesus and were willing to go to a great distance to find him and next week we'll be praying prayers of pursuit learning to pursue God in prayer going after him in prayer. We'll talk about the shepherds at some point who, you know, were joyfully excited about everything that God was doing and we're going to talk about prayers of praise. You see how this is going to work? We'll see how the people pursued Jesus and then we'll learn to pray with Christ in the same way. That's kind of what we're doing for this series. Does that make sense? Everybody got it? Okay, great. Thank you. This week kicked it off, didn't it? Christmas season. Got kicked off in full effect, didn't it? it, This is this is the season of anticipation. No holiday is more anticipated than Christmas. And while it starts, I I was some somewhere this summer. I was in some department store, and I remember seeing that they had Christmas stuff out in the summer, and I was like, ah, (laughs) you know. But this is the week where it really kicked off, and and we know that uh, when. I saw Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda had their Christmas specials on for the kids this, this week. And after that, there was, uh, you know, Thanksgiving Day, there's a parade, and there's a football game. And all the great marketing, uh, marketing companies all across America have been thinking all year about this wonderful day. It's heyday for them because in the breaks between the parades and the football games, they are going to unleash on us. All of their great ideas that they've been waiting for all year long, there's two times when they want to unleash their greatest commercials, now and the Super Bowl. And they are waiting for this moment, the Super Bowl is just fun. Now it's all business. They are trying to get us to buy goods like no one else. And this is the time when they're on the prowl. And the whole thing here is they're going to unleash this thing inside of us and inside of our kids especially that says, I got to have the latest and the greatest, right? And that's the whole point. And so it plants this seed of anticipation and they use all sorts of wonderful tools of nostalgia and warmth and materialism and greed (laughs) and all sorts of things in order to, to pull on the heartstrings and get us to think Christmas is coming and it's so exciting and it'll be even better Christmas if I get my kid this one thing. And so the seed is planted and it'll grow and it'll expand and over the next few weeks it'll finally get to a fever pitch until Christmas Day when those of us who are young parents were hoping foolishly hoping that on this day off and on this holiday, we might get just an extra half hour of sleep. But the anticipation is built far too much, and this is the moment when the kids are just dying to see what is possibly under the tree. So here's the, here's the situation that I want you to picture before we read our scripture this morning, and that's that it's Christmas morning, really, really early Christmas morning. Mom and Dad stayed up way late, getting everything just perfect downstairs they set the timer on the coffee pot because they know that they're going to need help in the morning so they set the timer but the timer's not even thinking about going off yet and that's how early it is there's they have a programmable thermostat you know that turns the hvac system on and gets things warmed up or whatever but the, the 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 thermostat wouldn't dare have the nerve to tell the HVAC system that it's time to start turning on yet. It's that early in the morning. The sun has made no allusion to the fact that the daybreak is coming or that it has any indication at all that it's interested in in dawn at this point. And yet somehow, for some reason, the wonderful sleep that mom and dad are enjoying is rudely broken as their door swings open and someone didn't get the memo about how early it was. And here come the shouts of glee and, and you know, dancing joy and expectation flowing into the room. And in a complete fog and haze, mom and dad are like, what is going on, you know? And, and yet in the middle of the haze and in the middle of the fog, they're aware enough to realize that something in this situation is actually extra peculiar. The voices that they're hearing aren't the voices that they expect to hear. And as they look over, it's not their kids that are standing here this time ready to go they're dressed fully ready to go bearing gifts is not their kids but the parents their grandpa. it's the grandparents here jumping all around and saying let's go it's time for christmas that doesn't make any sense does it it doesn't fit the christmas picture but that's kind of how it works in in the christmas story see there's this group of people who are really really excited about the christ child being born They're waiting and they're anticipating and they're all excited for the time when Jesus will be born. But it's not the youngest kids who are jumping around. It's not even the young idealistic ones who are like, let's get the Messiah and go conquer the world. It's the oldest people in the story are the ones who are anticipating, waiting for Jesus, excited about the fact that the Messiah is coming. We're going to read about it in Luke chapter 2. And as you know, I like to honor the Word of God by having us stand as we read it together. So we're going to stand and read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people." A light, for the gen, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. When Simeon blessed, then Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, "This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword." Pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward. The redemption of Jerusalem. Thanks. You can have a seat. Everybody in the Christmas story, every person who hears about Jesus coming is shocked. I mean, Mary herself is completely terrified. Joseph, he, can't even, he doesn't even want to believe it. You know, then you've got the shepherds who are taken completely off guard. You've got the wise men who have to scratch their heads about this star that's in the sky and figure out what's going on. Everyone, even Zechariah, the priest, John the Baptist's dad, won't even believe it when they tell him to believe it. You know. No one can believe it. Everyone's shocked except for the people in this story, Simeon and Anna. They're not surprised at all. They're ready. They're waiting. They are expecting it to happen. Any day now, the Messiah is going to show up. Simeon even got tipped off at some point in his life that it would happen before he dies. Now think about this. Think about this with me. Simeon is a man, Simeon and Anna, they've studied the Word of God. They've lived in the Word of God. They know that from the very beginning, when man and woman took the fruit and ate it, that right after that, the fall of man, God said that one was going to come who was going to crush the head of the serpent. So all the way back from the very beginning, there was one who was promised. And they knew, were waiting for one. And then when Abraham took his son and he put him up on an altar and he raised the knife and God grabbed the hand and provided a sacrificial ram. There was a picture. God was going to provide a sacrificial ram. Moses, as they were leaving Egypt and they painted the, the blood of the lamb on the, on the doorposts, they knew it was just a symbol of something bigger to come. There was one coming. The law pointed to the fact that they knew they needed something more and something greater. And then, of course, when they found their land, they had King David sitting on the throne. The greatest king of all time. But as he passed away, the kingdom disintegrated and fell apart and turned toward evil. But all the prophets, for generation upon generation, rose up and said, There is one coming who will sit on the throne of David, and he will bring salvation with him. And He will reign forever and ever. And He will be the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, which will be for all nations. The prophecies were there. Simeon read the prophecies. He's, he's searching the Scriptures, looking to understand. And you can tell, because of his response to Mary, he knows the Scriptures inside and out. I love this passage. It's in First Peter. And if you, if you want to turn there, you can. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, and it's in verse, starting in verse 10. And it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. If you go down in, in, in verse 12, all the way down to the bottom of that, it says, even angels long to look into these things. I love it. This is, I love that passage of scripture. It's this picture of like Isaiah and, and Zechariah, these guys who write about the Messiah. You see them, it, they're, they're pouring through all the scriptures that they already have, the Torah, and they're taking every word and detail and trying to understand what is this revealing about this Messiah who's going to come and save us. And then they get into the prophetic realm and they're sitting there praying and the Spirit's communicating with them. And it's almost like they're pulling back layers of mist and fog and trying to find in their spirits and in their minds some little detail about the Messiah to help them understand when and how is this person going to come who's going to save us. And that's how Simeon was, searching the Scriptures, looking, knowing that from time all the way back at the beginning, this one has been prophesied. It's been millennium that he's been prophesied. And Simeon is told by the Spirit that before he dies, he will see this Messiah. How cool is that? Can you feel the anticipation of that? I mean, all of history has been building and pointing to this moment. It's been waiting and yearning and groaning, waiting for this moment for the Messiah. And Simeon is going to be there to see. it. It's amazing. I I wonder if if Simeon got up like kids do on Christmas morning. Wondering, is this the morning? Is this the morning that Jesus is going to be here? Is this it? I wonder if he he gets on his knees as soon as he gets out of bed and says, God, is this it? Is this the day when I get to see the Lord's Christ? There's this, uh, in Psalm 130, I love it in Psalm 130. It's this great passage where I'm going to turn there. Actually, I think I even have it in my notes somewhere. Yeah, in Psalm 130 and verse 5 it says, I wait for the Lord. Just picture, this is David writing it, but picture this being Simeon, okay? I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I love how they repeat the phrase. More than watchmen, wait for the morning. More than watchmen, wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. How many times do you think Simeon read that passage of Scripture right there and was like, I can identify with that. How many times did he have his morning devotions and he read through that and he's like, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can feel that passage of scripture right there. I am waiting on God because I was promised that I'm going to see the Messiah. And for thousands of years, people have been waiting to see this Messiah, and I'm promised I'm going to see him. Who knows when in his lifetime he was told that he was going to hear that. I mean, he might have been 18 when he found out that he was going to see the Messiah before he died. You know, Samuel heard from God when he was a little tyke. you know, a little toddler. Who knows when Simeon heard this? And every day, he's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. And you can tell he's just studied the scriptures, searched the scriptures, and he stayed close to God. And what happens is is it's perfect because we're told that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's upon him. And the Holy Spirit has revealed to him this truth that he's going to see it. And then the moment when when his parents bring him, bring Jesus to the temple, it says the Holy Spirit moves him. And he's he's in that kind of connection with God. And he's like, time to go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, you know, and here's the moment. And so he gets to the temple, and here's the child that's been prophesied since the beginning of time. And here's the child, and I love what he does. It says he just grabs the kid from the parents. (laughs) <laughs> he takes the child in his arms like really are you allowed to do that you know and it's a, simeon it's in verse 28 simeon took him in his arms and praised god saying sovereign lord as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace and then he basically just starts quoting scripture he says for my eyes have seen your salvation That's all over from chapter 40 to chapter 50 of Isaiah. It's all over. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. That's direct quote from Isaiah. And for the glory of your people Israel. And he's just quoting these passages. And I think he knows way more about this child than his parents do. Uh, It even says the child's father and mother marveled at what he said. You know, he's been studying the scriptures his whole life and he's been waiting for this moment and he knows exactly what to think and what to say about this kid because he's been anticipating it, waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And he even knows knows that this is going to be the stone that makes men stumble and the rock that makes them fall. He knows it's going to be the suffering servant. He warns his mother, you're in for some tough times. You might be carrying the Christ child, but believe me, it's a burden to carry because he will be brutalized. And he knows what's going on, and he speaks into it. It's an amazing picture. It's awesome to watch Simeon waiting. Simeon, is Simeon the only one waiting? He's not the only one waiting. There's this other person waiting, Anna. And Anna, I love this story about Anna. You know, Anna, she, uh, she was with her husband for seven years, and then she lost her husband. Ever since then, it says that she's been doing nothing but hanging out in the temple courts. You know, you ever know a person who finds a place where they just kind of hang out, and they just kind of hang out there. And they might not even work there, they just hang out there. Remember, I, I know what you guys are talking about right now over here, will hours, because I just thought of it. Raymond Dalbert, right, over at the hardware store. Yeah, I, if you ever were over at the hardware store, Dolb was there, and he didn't work there, he just lived there. You know, uh, and and he just hung out there all the time. And this is kind of the picture. It's like, yeah, I, you know how like teenagers kind of hang out at the mall all the time and do nothing. When I was thinking of like, what is Anna? I'm like. That we always call them the mall rats. I'm like, she's the temple rat, except you can't call her a rat. You know, it's Anna, you know. So I don't know what to call her. you, you got the guys who, after work, they go and just live at the bar. you got the teenagers who hang out at the mall. But she takes this wonderful opportunity to, to set up shop at the temple. And it says she never leaves there. Day and night, she prays and fasts. And she's waiting for one thing, it says, for the redemption of Jerusalem. I love this. It's so close to what it says Simeon's waiting for. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. See, what's going on is, is they recognize that God is not in his appropriate place in their nation and in their people. That they do not have God in the place where he should be. That he's not being worshiped appropriately. And because of it, their nation is in shambles. And they're not being blessed. They're not in the favor of God because they're not worshiping him appropriately. Does it sound familiar? They recognize the fact that they are in desperate need of returning to God as a nation. And that people are in need of getting back on their knees before God. And what they decide to do is, they decide to get on their own knees. And to intercede on behalf of their people and on behalf of their nation. Begging for the one who can change it to come and to do something. For the Messiah to come and to change their situation. Those kind of people are invaluable. I think there's a few of them in this room right now who pray on behalf of those hurting around them, who pray on behalf of a nation who's struggling, who pray that God will show up in a profound and powerful way and will bring revival because we need it. You know who was supposed to be praying in the temple for the people? Whose job is it to pray on behalf of the people? The priests. Now we know these priests of this day in general are not people who really care about The people around them, we see them interact with Jesus and they're much more concerned about protecting their positions than they are about helping out the people around them. But make no mistake, because those who were in the position of priests weren't doing their job, didn't mean that there weren't priests who were alive and active. Because Anna and Simeon, they were priests. I don't know what Simeon's real job was. But I do know that Anna and Simeon together, they were priests in the eyes of God. Because they came and got on their knees and they fasted and they prayed on behalf of the people. And they went to God with their concerns. And they weren't concerned just about their own well-being. They were concerned about all those around them. And they became priests for God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, that we would have more people in this day and age who would be priests on behalf of our world. They're not the only ones. It says that Anna had to run and tell everyone else, all those who were waiting for the restoration of Israel, there's a whole group of them who were waiting for the restoration of Jerusalem. This is really kind of like a picture of what the church is all about. A group of people who were praying and waiting for the next move of God, asking Him to come and do things on behalf of their world and behalf of their neighbors, on behalf of the broken. This is a picture of the church. Before Jesus even came, it's a picture of the church, of those waiting, Asking, begging, pleading, God, will you come, will you move? Think about this for a second. What is it that we pray about together as a church? That we are so bent on seeing God do among us, that if one of us got a hint about it, that we'd be on the phone calling every other person or knocking on their door saying, it's happening, God's doing it, here he is, he's coming, and it's happening. And that's where it was at. There was people who were waiting, anticipating, like a child on Christmas morning, waiting for God to show up. And yet it wasn't kids on Christmas morning. It was the oldest people in the story who were waiting and anticipating, expecting God to move. And when they got one little inkling that he was on the move, Anna went running around telling them all. It's awesome. It's an awesome picture. The expectation and the anticipation that was built on that day. It was based on things that are so much different than what the anticipation and the expectation are built on for Christmas these days. You know, and I don't mean in, the, in the, just the dark materialistic sense of Christmas with gifts, even in the warm, nostalgic sense. You know, when you, when you get a picture of like the Christmas season I don't know about you, but like if I think of like a nice lit up Christmas tree, a warm fire, a, a cup of coffee or hot chocolate, and sitting around with with you know a family and having some Christmas cookies and Bing Crosby playing in the background, you know, that's it's good Christmas, you know. And there's these warm nostalgic thoughts that come to me that are like, ah, oh, yeah, I remember sitting around a potbelly stove with my parents when we were kids, you know. And there's and there's this like. This sense of like it's Christmas and it's warm and it's nostalgic. And and the anticipation of that season again can be a nice thought. But the anticipation of the first Christmas was not based on warm nostalgia. It was based on desperation and it was based on depravity. It was based on the needs that were all around them and the desperate need to see a Messiah revealed. They needed God because they were broken people. And the anticipation was an anticipation of relief and hope. This Christmas, are we looking forward to Christmas or are we looking forward to Christ? Really, are we looking forward to a warm season that spiritually warms us where we remember what jesus did back then or are we looking for a savior to be born again among us somehow in a way that transforms us and revives us because in the first christmas they didn't have a reference point back there where they were looking to experience a nice holiday season they were looking forward to a god who could transform them And in the spirit of true Christmas, what we should look for is not just the warmth of a holiday season, as good as that is. But Christmas isn't about family. It's not about cookies and it's not about whatever else. It's about the desperate need for a Messiah. And Him showing up in a manger in Bethlehem to bring transformation to a world that so desperately needs it. When we focus on the former things, you know, the nice holiday and, 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 the, and the warmth of remembering the, the wonderful stories and all of that, it's good. We should do it. It's good. But when we focus on that, there's a whole segment of our society that's left out. Because there's people who don't know the old Christmas story. There's people who are broken and hurting, who can't experience this anymore because they went through a brutal divorce this year. And they're hurting. And they, they can't have that kind of holiday season. They've lost loved ones. And it's painful for them. And they're left out. And while everyone else wants to experience this warm Christmas, they feel somehow neglected. And that's why the suicide rate... And the depression rate is higher in Christmas than any other time of the year. Because when what we focus on in Christmas is Christmas, people get hurt. But if what we focus on is Christ, then the only prerequisite to this holiday is that you're either broken and in need or you care about those who are broken and in need. And if so, then Christ can be born again in our lives and in our situations right here and right now. It's an equal opportunity holiday, you know, for the broken and for the, the whole and healthy. The common denominator is we're either broken or we care about those who are. And we're hoping and praying and expecting that God will move. Is there a shortage of brokenness around us? I mean, what's happening with families and with marriages right now? I can't tell you, if I count, if I try to count this year about how many times someone has come directly to me talking about an unfaithful spouse or a broken marriage or have sat in my office and just dumped their life out because of the brokenness, I can't count it. It's every week people's lives are shattered and broken. And it's in our schools and it's in our government and it's in our families and it's in our neighborhoods and it's all around us. We're in desperate, desperate need. Desperate need. I want to remind us what our call is in the midst of that need. We are told that we are a chosen nation, a holy nation, a chosen people, A royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. We are a royal priesthood. What's the job of the priest? To pray on behalf of their nation, to pray on behalf of their people. The need is there. The brokenness is there. The question is, are we priests who are going before God to bring the concerns of the people to God? That's our call. It's our job. And like Simeon and Anna, we, like the people who are waiting for the restoration of Israel, have to be the ones who can believe, who can expect that God can still move. That when he came as a little child on earth, that wasn't his greatest moment. His greatest moment is yet to come. When he died, it's not then his greatest moment. It's still to come. When he rose from the dead, that's not his greatest moment. The greatest moment is when my neighbor is in deep need and broken and shattered. And in that moment, I ask Jesus to be born again in their situation. And God brings revival to their heart. That's his greatest moment. And I still believe it can happen. I still anticipate and expect that God still has a revival up his sleeve. That God can still move. And that the way that they waited for that advent, that we can wait for the incarnation of Jesus again here and now. But we have to be priests. We have to see ourselves not as this Christmas being about us, but about it being about the deep need all around us. And saying, God, we remember what you did back then. And we'll enjoy the holiday where we celebrate it. But if I'm personally not in a place of desperation, then let me be desperate for my neighbor who is in shambles right now. Let me be desperate for my family member who cannot get past this addiction. Let me be desperate for the other person in the church who is still grieving inappropriately and deeply and can't get past it. Let me be desperate for the other person who's unemployed and who can't put the gifts under the table. Let me be desperate. For the kid in Somalia who lost his parents in the war and is hanging out in the trash heap looking for some food to eat, let me be desperate for the poor girl who's being trafficked right now as we speak and is headed to Thailand where she'll spend the rest of her life in a brothel. Let me be desperate because we need Jesus to incarnate in our world and in our lives. And he promised in his scripture that his spirit would be there and would be profound and be powerful. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we need more of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in the world around us. And I believe it's on us to be the people who will pray, who will wait, who will expect, who will anticipate, and who will believe. And on the day when we see God show up in a special way, that we'll be like Anna. Anna. And we'll be excited. We will have expected it. And we will tell everyone else. Here it is. The great awakening is happening. Jesus, through his spirit, is being born again in hearts all across America. And all across Pottstown. And all across our church and our neighborhood. And in that day, we want to be like Simeon. We want to be like Anna. We don't want to be like everyone else who was surprised. We want to be the ones who are waiting and anticipating. And praying. Let's pray. God, we are in desperate need of you, but sometimes we are not nearly aware of just how much of desperate need we are in. We know that our society is falling apart, but sometimes it's hard for us to get our expectations up. Because we haven't seen the power of your Holy Spirit move in the ways that we want. And it's hard for us to get our expectations up and we we can kind of recluse and get back into our own little world and just think of Christmas in terms of ourselves, think of our lives in terms of ourselves and turn a blind eye to all the pain around us because we don't know what else to do. But God, for 400 years, before Simeon and Anna were able to see you born, there was years of silence, where your prophets didn't hear a thing, where we have no record of you communicating with your people for 400 years longer than our country even been around. But they believed, and they hoped, and they waited, and you delivered. Give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen.